HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Happy Easter Sunday and welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. Uh, our episode today has been sponsored by Salumi Cured Meats. Uh, visit www.salumicuredmeats.com to learn more about what they do. They make some of the deli- or the most delicious cured meats in the country. I was going to say this side of the Mississippi, but it's actually on the other side. Um, so my guest today, this is Friends and Family Day on Cutting the Curd in honor of Easter Sunday. And joining me today, I'm happy to have the co-owner of Saxelby Cheesemongers, Benoit Breal, and his lovely wife, Stephanie, their 14-month-year-old son, Thibaut, who's sure to play the keyboard for us in a little bit and uh, sing some songs, as well as my parents, uh, Pam and Bill Saxelby. So welcome, everybody. Thanks. Hello. Thanks, Anne. Thanks, Thanks for being on the show. Hello. Happy hello, Easter. Hello. Happy Easter. <laughs> um, so... I guess today's show is going to be sort of free form. It's going to be half about cheese and half about um, Stephanie's wonderful uh, project uh, documentary film. So we're going to spend the first 15 minutes talking about cheese-related stuff and the rest of the show talking about movies because, you know, let's face it, we need to mix things up a little bit. We talk way too much about cheese. Um, But so I was thinking about what to talk about on Easter Sunday when it comes to, you know, when it comes to cheese, and I was like... Thinking about all the different holidays, um, you know, Easter is associated with like rabbits and with eggs, and uh, Passover, which of course is just going on this week, is associated more with with bread and with different foods, like horseradish, and a whole host of other things that are part of this, uh, you know, ceremonial uh, dinner. But cheese, you know, doesn't have a prominent holiday, or or does it? Um, and so I started doing some research on the internet today about different cheese-related holidays and found some, uh, found some pretty funny and interesting stuff. I guess I'll start with the legitimate and move on towards the ridiculous. But um, apparently in the Jewish religion, there is a holiday called Shavuot, which is kind of a forgotten Jewish holiday because it doesn't have the same kind of um, pomp and circumstance and ceremony surrounding it that other of the larger holidays do. But um, it's basically the anniversary of the revelation at Sinai 
um, and the gift of the Torah to the Jewish people. And um, traditionally, that holiday is about bringing the first fruits of the year's crop to the temple. And so, of course, in the springtime, uh, when all of our cows and sheep and goats have babies, um, milk is some of the first, you know, nutrition that is given to us by Mother Nature. So this is a dairy-centric holiday. Um, and uh, there are also some tie-ins because uh, the Torah, I guess, is referred to as being like <laughs> milk and honey. Um, as, and Israel is referred to as the land of milk and honey. Uh, so it has some significance uh, with the Jewish religion. And um, also at this time, uh, the Jews couldn't eat meat because um, since they were just given the Torah, apparently they didn't have time to prepare the animals in the proper fashion. Um, and so dairy was uh, prescribed for this holiday. So did you guys know that? We did. We did not. Yeah. Did not know that. We all know that now. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So just one more. I promise. <laughs> one more. I promise. Then we're going to do the ridiculous. So the other thing I came up with was a holiday called Maslanitsa, which is a Christian, a, a, an ancient pre-Christian tradition um, that's still celebrated in Russian or in Russia, and um, it's traditionally the end of the winter, beginning of spring. Um, it takes place in February, and the Orthodox canons call it Cheese Week um, because cheese is permitted to be eaten, but meat is forbidden. And uh, there are all these festivities, um, I guess, you know, fortune-telling, uh, feasting, and then the end of the holiday is when they build this, like, straw statue called the Lady of Maslanitsa, and then they, like, burn her up in the middle of the, <laughs> the city square. <laughs> So cheese and, you know, pagan um, burning of, uh, of relics. So um, that's all we got as far as cheese goes. <laughs> now, on the ridiculous side, I found uh, a, a, a British tradition, which is the cheese rolling, which happens in Gloucester yes. every oh, yeah. May. Have you guys heard about the cheese rolling? Yeah, yes. yeah a lot of fun. I actually haven't seen it. Oh, you've seen it? On TV. Yeah. Wow. I've seen it on the web as well. Yeah. Because it's so over the top. On the web, it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, these people, it's basically a hill that is that is as vertical as you can get. Yeah. And um, they roll wheels of Gloucester down the hill, and people chase after these <laughs> these wheels of cheese. And they literally tumble head over foot, head over foot, down to the bottom of the hill. And whoever, um, you know... It crosses the finish line first is gifted one of these wheels of cheese. It makes rugby look tame. Yeah. Oh, makes rugby look like yeah for wimps. Absolutely. Um, and on the on the internet, when I was looking it up, it said the 2010 event has been canceled due to safety concerns <laughs> over the number of people visiting the event. But it is hoped that it will be held on the late May bank holiday in 2011. <laughs> oh wow. So all of these cheese holidays kind of happen at this time of the year, you know, late, late uh, winter, early spring. And um, I guess it makes sense because of, you know, the timing with, with the milk supply. We, we start getting milk to make cheese at this time of the year. Um, but so I was thinking, and this is absolutely ridiculous, and we'll see where it goes, but I was thinking that if we were to create a cheese holiday of our own, kind of like, you know, Festivus on Seinfeld, <laughs> what would it what would it look like <laughs> um i don't know i imagine some like feats of strength you know hoisting of wheels of cheese over our over our heads um maybe uh, bowling with cheeses i think that could be good 
I don't I know. see big cow costumes. Big cow costumes, absolutely. Everyone dresses up like a cow, and there's a parade up and down Essex Street. Um, we could dress the little babies up like, you know, lambs and, and goats. That would be funny. Tebow would make a good lamb. Um, <laughs> he's looking at me like, what are you talking about? <laughs> exactly. He's into it. He likes the idea. <laughs> what about cheese shooting? When does that occur? Do they do that? <laughs> Which what time of the year does that happen? The cheese shooting, yeah, I I forgot about that. That should definitely be added to the list of cheese holidays. Um, our friends at you have Neil- to be a card carrying member of the NRA, however, to participate in cheese shooting. Absolutely. Well, I never thought I would have a reason to join, but <laughs> so well, yeah. Let's talk about that. Um, at our friends at Neil's Yard Dairy apparently discovered in a, a long car trip at one time with different. Uh, different um, cheesemakers in the car, all the cheesemakers confessed at various times to shooting their mingers. Mingers meaning the the really bad cheeses that nobody wanted to eat because they were kind of messed up. And um, so... Uh, that they've, they've apparently made a tradition out of this. And our friend Jason was actually very uh-huh. injured. He, he wasn't experienced using a... Um, You know that kind of a high caliber rifle, and so oh my god, it his kicked, shoulder? No, his face. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. <laughs> it kicked back in the in the sight, you know, for for spying. Oh and yes, lining yes, up yes, yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so I have no experience, and so I guess there are three different phases of the cheese shooting. There's just um, stationary targets, you know, where they have them at the end of the field. Big wheels at the end of the field. Big wheels mm-hmm. at the end of the field, and everyone takes aim. Then they do like the clay pigeons, where they like release, you know, the they shoot the wheels of cheese up into the yeah. air, small wheels of cheese, and uh, and take you know shots at those while they're flying. And then the last and the most dangerous, which is how Jason actually hurt himself, was that they roll the cheeses down a hill towards coming towards you, and you shoot them as they're coming down the hill. <laughs> Maybe he got hit by the wheel. Yeah, it's, it's possible. <laughs> had a took a nasty hop and uh, came up and hit him. <laughs> so now, where would we hold this event in New York? Yeah, probably at Roberta's, right here at Roberta's. I can't see a better place than uh, you know the backyard. They had a they had a motocross competition last year for her Halloween. You know why not why not cheese shooting this year? The first annual cheese shooting will be when next year? <laughs> well, let's see. I don't know. Maybe it should be um, should it be a spring or a fall event. It I think seems, it needs to be spring. Think, yeah, we should tie it into Easter. I think <laughs> Easter's such a peaceful holiday. We should do a little something, a little Ab- something to mix it up. Absolutely, Easter egg hunt in the morning, cheese shooting in the afternoon. Absolutely, between five and six. Uh, that that sounds perfect. Where's Where's Chris? Where's Chris, the owner of Roberta's? We just gotta float it past him, see what he thinks. Or you can make like the uh, Olympic sport where they do three things. They there could be cheese cutting, cheese shooting. And then she's rolling. Oh, yeah. The triathlon of cheese. The triathlon (laughs) of cheese. Absolutely. Well, in France, you know, they make that cheese called Mimolette, and that's just like a bowling ball. It is. I mean, that could work. Yeah. Bowling. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. (laughs) We bowled last night. We could roll wheels of cheese down the alley like we did last night. Oh, that's true. Have you guys been? We went to the Brooklyn Bowl last night. Yeah. We went there for a birthday. It was great. Tiba loved it. Did Tebow? Do they have um, bumpers for the kids? When you yeah, they put it up. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. But Tebow kept going across the line. 
Oh, well. You wanted to follow the ball, basically. <laughs> Straight into the, yeah. the alley. That's funny. We actually, there were some people who were our age last night who also wanted to follow the ball. They like went running down the lane. I think it was it was more beer inspired than, than the sheer joy of being a child. But, you know, <laughs> it was very funny. I want to come back to the cheese shooting. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> that really is why we're here well, today. Isn't well, who, who here has shot a gun? I haven't shot a gun. I, I've shot a gun. Your mother shot a gun. Yep. I, I shot a gun too. Really? What was, and under if your brother's what listening, he shot a gun. That's true. His girlfriend is a card-carrying <laughs> member of the NRA. Oh. Tebow, Tebow hasn't had a chance yet, but what about slingshots? Does he, uh, has he had slingshots <laughs> or anything of the, of the like? Nope, not yet. He'd love it. I know that he would. <laughs> I think he'd be he a pretty good chance. marksman, too. He's pretty coordinated. <laughs> well, what, under what circumstances? Were you guys hunting? Or I, I'm like, I didn't know about this. Especially you, Mom. I didn't know you had shot a gun. Yeah, no, that was just like goofing around probably with your grandfather when he was really in the intent to kill all of the chipmunks that lived in his yard. So. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, yeah. That was a, an ongoing battle. Mm-hmm. Grandpa and the chipmunks. Um, and what about you, Benoit? Were you hunting uh, or? No, no. Uh, my father was big at uh, skeet shooting. Oh, okay. He really enjoyed that. And when I was little, I kept on playing with toys like BB guns and such. So he enrolled me into a club awesome. because he wants things to be organized so, and, uh, and safe. And uh, he would take me on Sundays to the to the club so I could shoot uh, on a target. So the, maybe that's what we do. Maybe, yeah, there could be training leading up to the cheese shooting holiday. <laughs> Every Sunday at Roberta's, kids young and old can come and uh, try their hand at shooting cheeses. Yeah. It's very American. I like it. I think it is American, and I think also we need to think of the concept of the team idea. I like the team idea. Yeah, like relay. Relay. Yeah, relay. yeah, absolutely. You have to decide who's the strongest in each one of the fields. Yes. <laughs> the one who draws the short straw holds has the cheese. Has to be the, or has the to be other, the, the other <laughs> person. <laughs> your teammate shoots the cheese. <laughs> or puts it on their head like William Tell, you know? Absolutely. Well, why we? It shouldn't just be about apples on the head That's being shot it. off. This That's is true. about cheese. A cheese is a much bigger target, actually, than an apple. I would say you have a better chance of surviving. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Take a, a large wheel of cheddar. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so here's the question: What cheese would we shoot at? Because this has to develop. Well, it's yeah. It's got to be a cheese that can withstand some impact. Some impact. Yeah, it can't be like a little brie camembert kind of thing. That would just be pathetic. Why is that? Well, you know, they just kind of. It just kind of dissolve and melt before the you know before it even got you know hit. What about something like a parmesan? Parmesan, yeah, the parmesan but would be like an American version. Actually, that would be a way easier w- way of opening a wheel of parmesan than we usually do at the store. <laughs> Shoot it in the Essex Street Market. <laughs> <laughs> usually, it's like a half hour ordeal of like us trying to cut this wheel of parmesan open. Actually, usually it's Benoit's job. I'm a wuss. I don't like doing it anymore. Well, there are a lot of guns at the Essex Market, so we could borrow a couple. Oh God, I hope not. There are so many other things. I'm sure that there are a lot of guns. At Essex. Yeah, yeah. Oh shoot! <laughs> one of our friendly neighbors can uh, can let us borrow one. Um, but yeah, no, I think a cheddar would also be good. Cabot cloth bound cheddar. I mean, that's a good cheese. I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily want to shoot it, but you know, maybe if we des- if we devised some sort of a bullet that wasn't like you know um, 
wasn't so like poisonous you know maybe we could shoot it with like something that was like non-toxic and then it could just be like automatic grated cheese you know oh you've gone a bridge too far you're not sure where you're at (laughs) i'm just trying to think of ways you don't want to shoot a cheese and then not be able to use it necessarily i mean because yeah we don't have like all the we're not the farmers we don't have all like the bad wheels of cheese although i guess we could have all the farmers bring their bad wheels of cheese if they wanted um but so I think what <laughs> we've decided is triathlon. Triathlon. Triathlon for cheese. Yes. To be held in Brooklyn. To be held in Brooklyn in next the spring. year. And um and the utilization of firearms. Of firearms. This okay. is a concept that has to be more fully developed. No, I think it's good just as it is. You know, <laughs> next weekend next weekend we'll just pull up here and make it happen. Okay, well we have two minutes left before the break. Um and so what about cheese traditions in your families? Did you guys have any cheese traditions growing up? Because my cheese tradition was eating a pack of Kraft Singles by myself in, the, in like the living room. <laughs> um, well, it, not really a tradition, but every time we would have uh, some snow, some kind of, you know, uh, yeah, a bit of snow in the garden or at the mountains of our, around us, we would definitely have a, a raclette or a fondue. So that could happen... In Paris, not that quite o- not quite often, but in the mountain, you know, like uh, in February, almost every night a raclette or or a fondue, definitely. That's the best. And and so, did you guys have a raclette machine like the one that you found for us, or did you have a more like traditional uh, <laughs> piece of machinery? Yeah, no, my mother was too scared we would like burn each other with a, <laughs> with a traditional machine. <laughs> she bought like a safer one, like the one we have at the store. Oh, right, because the traditional one, how is it set up? The wheel is kind of on its side? Yeah, the wheel is on its side, and you have uh, some kind of a resistance, and you cut the wheel uh, in half, uh-huh. So and you bring the resistance closer to the wheel as you go, and you just scrap the cheese from top to bottom, and the, 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 the cheese just melts and goes down on your plate. Oh, so you've got the half wheel of cheese and then yeah. like a fiery, a yeah, fiery, fiery substance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. the way to go. Okay. What about you? Wait, Mom, you said you had you guys both grew up in Wisconsin. You have to have at least a couple cheese traditions, right? No, our tradition was just to eat it. No Cheese balls? You're not helping oh, your Oh, well, you know, no, no, no. Just for every holiday, you just make a cheese plate. But, you know, I mean, to be honest, it was just really enjoying it and eating lots of it. And so actually, of course, we, were, we were not as educated now as we are with you in the business. So yeah. in our, in our family, and it was a lot less Belvita. expensive, too. No. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but no, seriously, my parents used to, everything revolved around cheddar cheese, some form of cheddar cheese. So every guest that would come to the house, you know, holidays in particular, there would be a huge plate of cheese, but it was always the same type. Okay. It was always cheddar, and it was always on either a Triscuit cracker or a saltine, one hey. or the other. Not a lot of variety, but always good. But I was, oh, no, no, no. Your dad cool. thought it was pretty exciting when the cheddar became white cheddar then. You know, it wasn't yellow, and it was from New York State. That was the fancy one. Which one? Grandpa Grandpa Ray? Grandpa Ray. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, too, was amazed by white cheese. It was white American cheese. We would get that from the deli, and I thought that was pretty great. Um, well, let's see. So uh, what about you, Stephanie? Did your family have any cheese traditions? or No, cheese really didn't exist in my house. The only kind of cheese... Kind of cheese that existed in my household, which was you know Chinese, um, was the powdered kind that came in the macaroni and cheese box. And that was <laughs> like something that came into our house maybe by the time I was 
12 or 14 uh-huh. because we had by that time we could go shopping with my mom and we could pick out things that we wanted to eat and we had discovered that at our friends house sleepovers yes, and all we the rest. like oh my god this stuff is so awesome mom all you do is add milk and then you have like cheese so it was really, really ex- an exciting, cheesy discovery for the Chinese Wong household in Ohio. <laughs> I bet your mom was so dismayed. She's such an amazing cook. She's like, oh, no, what have they done? She's like, what is this? <laughs> this is pretend food. <laughs> it is colorful. It, it is if, colorful. If nothing else, it has a, it has a nice color. Um, all right. Well, we're going to take a very quick break on cutting the curd. And when we come back, we're going to shift gears completely and talk about movies which i'm very excited about stay with us it's a long steel rail and a short cross tie i'm on my way back home i'm on that train with king of them all that train line cannonball Welcome, or welcome back to the second half of Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby, and I'm joined today by Bill Saxelby, Pam Saxelby, Benoit Brayal, Stephanie Wong Brayal, and Thibaut Brayal, the newest member of the crew, and um, by far the best singer, as he's demonstrating right now. Um, so now, since it is, since, you know, we're just doing friends and family stuff, um, I would love to take a minute to talk about, um, Stephanie's, uh, film that she's been working on for the past three years now. And that, and that just won the award of best documentary film at the Asian American Film Festival in San Francisco. (laughs) Yeah, we are so excited. Um, and so tell us what, uh. What's the name of the film and how, how what, what, what are the steps you're working on now that you're an award-winning filmmaker? Yes, Thibaut's very excited Thibaut's too. Thibaut's a proud son. Um, the title of my film is called, it's called <laughs> Wa I Ni Mommy, which means I love you, mommy. And it's a feature documentary that is about Chinese adoption. Uh-huh. And it's more specifically about, um, it follows a Jewish family from Long Island, the Sadowskis. Um, who in 2008 adopted an eight-year-old girl named Fang Suiyong. Um, And it's just about the whole adoption process, transcultural process um, that is involved in international Chinese adoption. Wow, wow. Which has become, when would you say that, that, would you call it a trend? And if that's the right, or if that's not the right word, what would you call it? And when did that kind of start becoming a more common practice? Well, China opened its doors to international adoption in 1992. 
Okay. So, um, and they opened their doors to international adoption because specifically um, there was their welfare institutions, like their orphanages and their city-run agencies were being overwhelmed with healthy, abandoned healthy baby girls. Wow. And so since they figured one way to relieve this system was to open their doors to international adoption. And so in 1992, they officially opened their doors. But prior to that period, a few families, select families who had special relations with China, either Chinese families or history professors who dealt with Chinese history, were, were able to adopt. Um, once that happened, um, I say, I think once families found out that all these, you know, people, that uh, all these children were available, healthy, healthy children, babies, infants were available for adoption, and that the laws protected the adoptive family versus the birth family, um, American family sort of just spread word very quickly among the adoption community because that community is very strong and very organized in terms of a local grassroots community. Interesting, interesting. And so how did you meet the uh, the Sadowskis? Um, I met the Sadowskis um, because I had interviewed over um, 100 families in the United States, throughout the United States. 100? Yes. Wow. To figure out how I was going to tell this story. And so the Sadowskis, um, after interviewing all these families, I realized that I really wanted to be able to tell this story from the child's perspective. So then I recast my net, asking to interview and meet families who are about to go and adopt a child. And so um, in that process, I met the Sadowskis. And the first time that I met them, I immediately started learning things about the adoption process, which I thought I already knew, or, you know, I thought that I understood everything there was to understand about, you know, what parents were thinking or how they were reacting. And in that first meeting, I learned a lot of new things mm, mm. because of the way they respond to things. And immediately I was like, these these people are very intelligent. They think a lot about what's going on behind the process. And um, I think they would teach me, if they're already teaching me things, they'll teach an entire audience a lot of things. Right, absolutely. And so then you actually traveled to China with them um, <laughs> when they uh, adopted their daughter, whose, whose American name is Faith. Um, yes. And you spent quite a bit of time with them kind of... Um, Actually, when when they first met, right when when she came back to America with them, yes, um, I was there the very first time Donna met Faith, and I was there, and I've been there since pretty much. But when they first came back to America, I spent a lot of time at their house because um, Donna, the whole the Sadowskis don't speak any Chinese, and Faith at that moment didn't speak any English. Mm. So I was sort of just helping, you know, the communication process. So, I mean, you guys really had a partnership. Um, you know, they were participating in your project, but you were also participating pretty heavily in helping their daughter assimilate in those sort of crucial early weeks and months. Um, I, yeah, I like to think that as well, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And, oh. What I have to say, uh, this wasn't planned at all. This, I mean, it was planned that Stephanie would follow them, but... She was not supposed to talk to the to to face at that time or uh, make the bridge between the two, between well, the child and the family. Benoit is saying that because um, I had thought about everything that I needed to do, you know, before leaving for China. You know, what kind of shots I wanted to get, how trying to anticipate as much as possible. But the one thing that I didn't anticipate, and I don't know why, was the fact that they weren't going to be able to communicate with each other and how that was going to happen. And as soon as I saw Faith and saw how, you know, just traumatic the situation was for her just the look on her face that first moment you know it's just so heartbreaking um that when after donna and faith exchanged a few you know gesturing 
moments of communication that weren't succeeding, I just decided to jump in as a translator. Wow. So that's why Benoit's saying that, to help make Faith feel better. Yeah. Well, and in effect, as a, as a filmmaker, too, you, you're a translator because you're translating their experience into a story that, you know, that can affect and, uh, and just educate so many people, which is, which is a pretty wonderful and rare thing to be able to do. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that, you know, today uh, the form, the art form of documentary filmmaking is really interesting because so many, there's so many amazing documentary filmmakers out there that are making really important issue, social issue documentaries, but they're not just making the films, they're taking the films beyond the screening room and building all these curriculums and all these screenings, community engagement screenings and community active screenings that are taking the issues that are raised within a film beyond, you know, um, what you see on the screen. So I think it's really, really important to do that. And how, how have you started doing that with, uh, with Well, I Need Mommy? Well, one of the things that I'm going to be doing this summer is teaching a film workshop for um, older Chinese girls who have been adopted. Wow. And the ages are going to be between 15 to 18. And um, I'm going to teach them how to start telling their own stories and start you know, giving them sort of a lesson in media <laughs> literacy, how Asian women are portrayed in the media, looking at that, thinking about themselves, you know, giving them starting to make themselves ask questions about their identity so that they'll feel more empowered about who they are and where they come from. Absolutely. And I'm also doing, you know, a study guide for the film, and um, I'm also doing um, just a bunch of other, like my website's going to be like a whole interactive thing where other youth can start posting their own stories. I really want it to be youth activated because, you know, I'm very lucky you know, everyone's complimenting me on my story, but there's no, you know, a story's nothing without your characters, without your people. And, you know, Faith is an amazing, brilliant girl. And, you know, she, her perspective is the whole reason why this film is doing so well. And what is your website so everyone can visit and, uh, and get, in, get involved? My website is www.woainimommy.com, which is spelled W-O-A-I-N-I-M-O-M-M-Y.com. But it was really important for me to include Chinese in the title of my film because, you know, it really represents where she's coming from to where she's going. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's also, I mean, Chinese, I, I think that you're also maybe getting a jump on educating people that way, too, because we're all going to need to know more words of Chinese as, as you know, the, as time goes by. So it's, uh, it's, it's good just to get it in people's consciousness. Yeah, no, it's really important to get everyone speaking another language, even if it's the most simple three or four words that they can get. You know, I think it's really great. Yeah. It helps. It helps cross cultural relations, which is also what this film is about. Yeah. And now what are the next steps for you as uh, now that you've won this first award? Are you doing more festivals? Are you getting are you doing um, other screenings or what's uh, yeah, what's next? Well, I'm doing more festivals. Um, I'm going to be playing in the Washington, D.C. area in June, the Berkshires as well in, at the beginning of June. What, what are the names of those festivals? I'm going to be playing at the um, Berkshire. Well, I'm going to be playing first at the Chicago Film Festival, which is next weekend. Um, and then I'm playing at the Berkshire Film Festival the first week of June and then Silver Docks, AFI Silver Docks Festival at the end of June. Congratulations. Thanks. Thanks, thanks, thanks. It's very great. It's great that I've had such a great reception to my first film. So it's been pretty amazing. And then it's going to be, of course, have its U.S television premiere on POV on August 31st. And POV is, is it stands for point of view I've, and it's on um, PBS. PBS. Yes. Okay. It's, it's an amazing, I mean, if you don't know, if you haven't had a chance to watch any of POV's programming, they, it's like a block of programming every year. They have 10 or 12 documentaries a year, I think. And I mean, just the documentaries are of the highest caliber. They really just make 
bring you into a world that you've never might have never heard of or thought knew of and they really take you there and introduce you to just like the people that you know are really special who are doing different things on this earth yeah yeah well congratulations for being included as a part of that too because i mean 10 to 12 documentaries per year your first documentary that's really really great and so um People, if they want to learn more about Woe I Need Mommy, again, the website is www.woeineemommy.com, and that's W-O-A-I-N-I-M-O-M-M-Y.com. And, um, well, thank you so much for taking a minute to talk to us about it and getting our heads out of the cheese for once. It's so, it's so, it's it's great. <laughs> cheese and films, there's a lot to be said. Thank you for having me too, Anne. Well, we're doing, we're, we'll definitely do, you know, whenever whenever your New York screening happens, we'll be sure that there's tons of cheese at the, uh, <laughs> at the um, and what do you think, Tebow? Tebow's putting together an Easter egg and he has been so patient with us this whole half hour. Yay! Yay! So everybody check out uh, What I Need Mommy and um, stay tuned for more details of our cheese shooting festival to be held possibly at Roberta's, possibly somewhere else, most probably somewhere else. Um, (laughs) And uh, tune in next week for another episode of Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network.